The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Pain has taken its toll on me, writes Sarah Walton. Physically, emotionally, and mentally, the damage isn't always visible on my face or in my words, but it's always there, tempting me to view everything through the lens of an aching heart and a weary spirit. No one lives this life untouched. We all experience the brokenness and frailty of this world in one way or another, whether we face daily disappointments an aging body, a life-altering illness, abuse, broken relationships, or loss, the pain we experience becomes woven into the fabric of our lives. It changes us, sometimes leaving us with scars or a limp. I know all too well that suffering leaves its scars. Some are visible, while some lie hidden within the fabric of my being. Multiple scars on my ankle remind me that I can no longer physically do so much of what I used to love. Another scar will be left from the pick line put in my arm to treat my chronic illness. But it's the scars deep within, the ones that no one can see, that have threatened my hope and joy in the greatest way. I'm a woman who carries scars from various forms of abuse, who struggles not to view all relationships through untrusting eyes. I'm a mother who carries scars from unknowingly passing on my illness to each of my four children. And I'm a fallen human being who carries scars from my own sinful choices. But for every child of God, sin pain, and scars will not have the last word. By God's grace, they can become blessed evidence of what Christ has redeemed and will redeem through the scars he received for us on the cross. Our text is John 20. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. The scars... The remaining wounds of Christ are purposeful. And they communicate to his disciples blessings of peace and joy. Joy, peace and joy which enables them to and informs them in their mission, in our mission. Before you look at God's word, would you pray with me please? Father, as you have sent your son... So he sends us into a world with with many problems and difficulties and sufferings. And we are not alone. Thank you for the spirit who is our continual helper. Who enables us to commune with Christ. And to rightly see him and worship him and hope in him. Lord bless us now as we read, as we consider your word. Help us to see how the gospel impacts every day of our lives. For the sake of your glory and our ongoing peace and joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We left off with Mary Magdalene. 
She's seen the risen Lord. She's gone to tell the disciples from Luke's gospel. We know that that Jesus walked and talked with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that these disciples then returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and some other disciples who are gathered together in this room. So beginning at verse 19, it's, it's the evening of that same day, the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is God's word. You may be seated. In this room, some have seen the risen Lord. The others have heard the good news. And yet, they're hiding. They're hiding. They're afraid. And Jesus came and and stood among them. Most believing that he simply appeared instead of opening the door and walking in. And I wondered, did this startle them? Jesus knows their fear. He knows they can't stay hidden away forever. That they need to go into the world. There's a mission. As the Father sent him Now he is sending his disciples, and he sends us. And in order to go, they need his peace, and they need his joy. Now obviously every word Jesus speaks is important. And in this encounter, there is an emphasis not only on the words, but on his wounds. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus doesn't overwhelm and do away with the horror of the cross. No evidence of of this horror is still present, but now the wounds are glorified. Now we see its purpose. And Jesus is in this glorified body. He doesn't receive a new body. No, it's the same body with all of the the scars, but now it's glorified. Our faith is still focused on both the cross and the resurrection. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, wouldn't it seem natural to move on from all the the ugliness the suffering and humiliation, to try and forget, not, not dwell on the, the bad and devastating news, and to, to only think about the, the good outcome, that Jesus is alive. It's, you know, it's what we tend to do in life, not dwelling on the bad, but moving on, being positive, thinking about what's good. But the cross is central to our faith. It's not bad and ugly news that we 
put out of our memories, only to focus on the triumph of the resurrection. No, the the cross itself is triumph. And there are glorious realities concerning his death that we never, ever forget. The crucifixion and the resurrection are forever connected and inseparable. The crucified one is the risen Lord, and the risen Lord is the crucified one. His real death, real resurrection have accomplished our salvation. Now, have you ever wondered about the scars of Jesus and what this means for us? We're told that when we see him, we'll be like him, that the resurrection is our hope. And so we have an idea that about our future existence, our resurrected bodies, and what they will be like. They'll be like His. We'll still be us. We we don't lose our past experiences that have shaped us and make us who we are, and yet it'll be different and much, much better. We can assume that we'll eat because He ate food in his resurrected body, that our bodies will be physical because Jesus said, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. We can know that our bodies will be different, physical and yet spiritual because Jesus' resurrected body apparently passed through the, the linen wrappings and the locked door of the room where these disciples met but I don't know what this means about our scars. Who we are, who we are remains the same. Our sufferings lead to a a weight of glory. There isn't necessarily the, uh, these aren't necessarily the same as Jesus's scars. If there's any connection here between Jesus's ongoing wounds and what that means for us, if there's any connection and we do bear some scars, then they will most certainly be a joy and a glory to us and not an embarrassment or a hindrance. Ultimately, I don't know. But what I do know is that the everlasting scars of Jesus make sense. Because they speak of our salvation. And they have become more beautiful than anything else. Because they accomplish the highest possible display of love and grace. Which reveals God's glory. His resurrection is glorious because of these wounds. Wounds that heal us on many levels. So why would they ever be hidden? I like this comment from George Hutchison who said, Christ, even in his exaltation, looks upon his sufferings for his people as his crown and glory. Therefore did he rise again with his pierced hands and side and retained these prints in his state of exaltation. Jesus presents these wounds to his followers and in them we see three glorious blessings. First, Jesus announced the blessing of peace. 
peace, that is, for those who believe in him. Look again at our text. Jesus came, he stood among them and said, peace be with you. And again he says, peace be with you. This seems seems incredibly significant. Repetition is a form of emphasis and Jesus, he bookends his appearance with these same statements. Peace. Peace that they'll need in order to go. And as he blesses them with peace, what does he do? He shows them his wounds. His wounds are more than terrible, ugly reminders of pain and distress. No, the wounds are peace. They are a vision, a picture of peace to his disciples. See the connection between his words and his actions. He says, peace, and he shows them. He shows them what he's done to accomplish this peace. The words, peace be with you, are the equivalent to the words he spoke three days earlier when he said on the cross, it is finished. Through his death on the cross, Jesus provides peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. His wounds proclaim that God's just wrath against our sins have been satisfied. They've been satisfied by his death. You remember the biblical term for this? Propitiation. God's holy anger toward the crimes committed against him are exhausted on the cross of Christ. The full punishment has been paid. The wrath, his wrath averted from us, absorbed by Christ. These wounds are evidence of this. And if you have received the gift of God by faith, trusting in what Jesus did for you, Jesus says to you, peace be with you. I'm I'm curious, do we really believe this? Do you really grasp the fact that God the Father holds, holds nothing over you? That he's not begrudgingly accepting you? Sometimes I, I, I wonder if we, you know, we will say this. Do we really know it? Do we, I wonder if we think that God views us like a, a teenager who wrecks dad's car. And though dad graciously pays the price for you, dad doesn't make you pay what you deserve to pay. Deep down inside you know you suspect that even though he said it's okay, you have this sense of him being disappointed in you and viewing you as the car wrecker, the one who ruined it, who, who cost him a lot. He says it's okay. He tells you, assures you that he loves you and that all is forgiven. But you have this deep down feeling that he's frustrated with you because still it cost him a lot. Do you think of God this way? That yes, he says that he loves you. 
He says that he's forgiven you. He tells you there's nothing for you to pay. That he's paid it all by sending his son. But oh, what a cost. What a terrible cost to pay. And the relationship would have been, you think, the relationship would have been so much better if I hadn't wrecked the car in the first place. Are you holding back and maybe not embracing the true peace that you have with God? Maybe because this is what your, what your forgiveness looks like. That deep down there's still a little bit of resentment. Or you forgive out of obligation. A begrudging grace because it's just the better thing to do. And truly, God isn't like this. And if you struggle with this, think of the story of the prodigal son. What's the heart of that father toward a son who cost him so much? Do you sense any obligation or begrudging grace with him? No, instead you get a picture of longing as he continually is looking for the one he desperately loves. You get a picture of utter joy at the son's repentance. The father running to him, immediately celebrating, embracing him, celebrating even with more cost. An elaborate, excessive, outrageous show of joy, a big party. This is peace. No hesitation. No sense of any lingering resentment. This is the peace that is ours. The father doesn't look at the wounds of Christ and say, look what you did. No, he says, oh, I love you this much. And we're going to have a great party. Dads, do your best to communicate this kind of forgiveness and grace to your children. Help them understand this kind of peace that we enjoy with God. The wounds of Christ bless us with true peace. They speak of God's grace and God's heart toward us. And the one standing before these disciples... Blessing them with peace is also seen in Revelation 5, where there is, a, there is a hushed awe of mighty angels. And Jesus appears in glory as a lamb standing. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. The wounds are not a balance to the beauty of this. And the heavenly congregation does not fall on their faces because he's too grotesque to look at. No, it's because of this that the greatest, this is the greatest sight of all. He is worthy to open the scroll. He is worthy of all worship. Richard Phillips put it this way. Heaven had wept at the breaking of God's peace through sin. But now heaven rejoices because there is peace with God for sinners through the atoning blood of his holy son. And not only a heavenly celebration, but it should be ours as well here on earth as we realize that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This 
peace is wonderful. And not only is God no longer angry with us, not only is there peace with God, but Jesus' death also offers us the very peace of God in our hearts. This was the promise of Jesus as he was going to the cross saying, my peace I give to you. Because of his wounds, because of his atoning death on the cross, believers have, dwelling within our souls, God's own peace. Paul wrote of this peace. For believers who turn to the Lord in prayer, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you known this peace? Have you known this peace in times of great suffering? Your circumstances may seem hopeless, but knowing Christ means that he's with you. He promises to be good to you and bless you. Jesus told us that this this peace, his peace, it's different. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Because of Jesus, because of the cross and his wounds, we have peace with God and the peace of God. The world's peace we know is what? It's <laughs> temporary at best. There may be a fragile truce between nations, but there's, there's always a threat. There's always a suspicion that this is not going to last. There's always a reason to doubt and wonder because, well, it depends on the whims and shaky wisdom of our leaders. The world's peace is fragile and uncertain. We see it with nations. We even sense it in our relationships, hoping to avoid conflict in marriage or with family members or within the church. And this lack of assurance, what does it do? It makes you anxious inside, doesn't it? We're not at peace. But the wounds of Jesus, they communicate an assured, finished, final, eternal peace. Because God is with us. Because he loves you. Because he embraces you. And there's nothing that can ever change this peace. That's how great the wounds of Jesus are. That's how great they are for those who belong to him. Do you know this peace? Peace that flows from Christ's wounds on the cross. If you don't, he offers this to you. He died because of sin. He offers you peace through faith in him. In our text we see three glorious realities that flow to us through Christ's atoning death. First is peace. And a second blessing that flows from his wounds is the blessing of joy. Look at verse 20. There's a connection. Jesus showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And of course, 
they rejoiced simply to see him and that he was alive. But they also rejoiced in the display of the wounds that had redeemed them from their sins. Jesus makes the point of of showing them his hands and his side. Why? Why does he do this? Again, we ask, why are the wounds even there? If his body was glorified to the point of passing through linen wrappings, the door or walls of the room where the disciples were, couldn't this body also be without blemish? Without scars? Wouldn't that be more glorious? Apparently not. Apparently these wounds are intentional, even glorious. Yes, they give evidence, but they would have known him with or without these wounds. So certainly it's more than evidence. Jesus enters this room and brings a message of of peace and joy, of blessing. Think of how these disciples had failed. Peter denied Jesus. The others had forsaken him. Why doesn't Jesus rebuke them? Instead of peace be with you, why doesn't he say shame on you? The disciples, they were fearful, probably ashamed. And yet Jesus brings peace and joy. What a gracious Savior we have. And the wounds are not there to shame us. They're not there to remind us of our guilt and shame. No, these wounds communicate the incredible love of God for us. And the peace of forgiveness. And is there anything more joyful than that? It's important for Christians to live with godly joy. It's important for us to live with godly joy. This is the reality of the gospel. How can we not be joyful? Our joy is a reflection of the reality of the good news. A news that we should never move on from. Never forget. A news that is it's relevant today... It's relevant tomorrow. It's relevant every day of your life. His wounds are still there. Is your joy still there? And of course, (laughs) we all have our bad days, right? And on those days, we may communicate the opposite of peace and joy. But if we truly live in light of the gospel, shouldn't people generally, generally see us and describe us as those who, who exude peace and joy? When I was younger working in my family's Christian bookstore, it was, it was so disappointing. <laughs> For the most part, wonderful, great customers. It was so disappointing, even confusing to wait on customers who were known in the community as Christians and yet in the store among co-workers had a reputation of being angry, grumpy, difficult. There were some, we'd be in the back room, we'd see someone coming and it's like, hey, let's flip a coin to see who gets that one. Uh, 
It's important that we live with a godly joy. Because it says, it says something about Jesus and what he's done. And yes, even those bad days, especially in our bad days. And this doesn't mean that, that you fake it, that you just slap on some fake happy face and pretend. But it does mean that we tell ourselves the truth of the gospel, that we remind ourselves of the, of the big picture. And that because of these wounds, because of the cross, Jesus is always with us and we always have hope. If you really believe this, it changes us. People should see joy in you. And sometimes this will look like happiness and other times joy looks more like a, like a confident hope. And what I tend to think of is my family spending months in the hospital for Devin's fourth open heart surgery. How many years ago? 11 years ago? Wow. None of us had the energy to fake joy or happiness. But over the weeks, it became obvious as various people in the hospital, they'd hang out in our room. They wanted to be around us or they'd comment and say, that they appreciated us. They appreciated seeing how Devin was handling it. They were drawn to this. What they saw, what they sensed was the peace of God in the midst of very fearful situations. And joy, a joy that I think came across more like, like just a kindness and a confidence in God. So it's important to live with a godly joy, even and especially in our sufferings. Paul put it this way. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Follow these attributes backwards. If people see our hope in difficult times, they will identify a certain character and endurance, and this will be seen as joy. Jesus intends for us to live with great joy. And clearly, circumstances will affect outward displays of happiness, but nothing should touch the deep reality of our joy in knowing and hoping in Christ. Nothing. You don't have to slap on a fake smiley face. Your joy can be seen in other ways. I heard the story of a king who commanded his subjects to come to the palace and bring their best bags. And many were confused, wondering why the king would want their bags. Many resented such a command, so they brought the smallest ones they had, or ones filled with holes. But when they arrived, they were surprised that the king didn't take their bags. No, it was an invitation to enter into the treasury and fill their bags with gold to take home. 
Those who brought their largest bags to offer the king went home with an abundance of treasure, while the resentful ones went home with very little. We come to God, and he offers us gifts of peace and joy. And those who withhold themselves from God gain little, while those who open wide their lives for the praise and service of God end up greatly enriched, and there is much rejoicing. In our text, we see a progression that what flows from the saving work of Christ grants us peace, and this peace fills us with a supernatural joy, and as a result, we go into the world and tell people the good news. Christ commissions us. As the Father sent the Son, so Jesus sends us into the world. And we are sent with the only message of hope. The only message of hope. We bring peace. Because we know peace with God through the atoning death of Jesus. We bring joy. Because there's no greater joy for life now or life eternal. Because of people, because of Jesus, people like Sarah Walton can write with a sense of peace and hope-filled joy. She concludes her story this way, saying, Our suffering and scars are not only temporary, they are also preparing us for something greater, something eternal, something unimaginable. But how do we not lose heart when pain rocks our foundation? And strips away everything we had hoped for in this world. We do so by anchoring ourselves on the solid foundation of God's faithfulness. Rather than our own ability and understanding. Trusting that he will bring new life out of even our deepest wounds. We must learn to look at our scars through the scars of Christ. And our temporary pain despite how eternal it feels. Through the promise of of the eternal glory that God is preparing for us. The pain and the scars it has left may not disappear in our lifetime, but the growth and maturity that shines forth from Christ's healing work in our lives will begin to to magnify his worth and increase our anticipation for the eternal healing that is to come. We become walking testimonies of An unshakable hope, one that is greater than this world has to offer and greater than this world can take from us. One day, scars will be no more, broken minds and bodies will be made whole, the internal battle against sin will be silenced, and our faith will finally become sight in the presence of our Savior. When the pain in your life feels like too much to bear and the scars you carry appear too great to heal, fight the enemy's lies with the truth of Christ's healing power both now and to come. Fix your eyes on our faithful Savior, the one who loved you and me enough to receive his own scars in order to bring healing to ours. As John Piper writes in his poem on Job, what we have lost, God will restore. 
when he is finished with his art, the silent worship of our heart. When God creates a humble hush and makes Leviathan his brush, it won't be long until the rod becomes the tender kiss of God. What Sarah writes is not the message that we bring. No, this is the kind of biblical truth that changes us from fearful disciples hiding away in a room to those who are at peace and filled with joy going out into the world. This is what flows from seeing Jesus, seeing his hands and his side and knowing that he willingly, lovingly died to pay the price of sin. The message we are sent to bring is people's need for the cross of Christ. That they, like all people, have sinned. And since God is a just judge, either they will pay the price in hell, or they can look to Jesus, who paid the price for all who believe in him. Our message is one of repentance and forgiveness. Turn from sin, turn to Christ, and Jesus is there. Jesus is life, he is peace, he is everlasting joy. Jesus didn't avoid the world. He took on flesh, he dwelt among us, he lived, he, he, he loved the world enough to enter into it without entering into sin. And like him, we are sent to be, to be involved in the world, to be salt that enhances the flavor, the, the goodness of God's blessings, to have a preserving, caring effect, to be light, shining, revealing sin for the sake of pointing people to Jesus, to see that their only hope is in him. And he says, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Let's pray. Father, we do tend to be fearful, afraid of people's disapproval, afraid to offend, afraid of the consequences. Help us to be overwhelmed by your peace, to know that Jesus is standing before us, with us, blessing us with peace, reminding us that because of his wounds, We are now at peace with you, greatly loved by you, given your peace within us. And knowing this great truth, bless us with a growing joy, joy that is evident to those around us, sometimes looking like happiness and other times looking like a strong hope and confidence in you. Lord, instead of bringing our small and whole-filled bags, might we see this calling, this going out into the world as receiving a great treasure from you. Help us to be involved and to love and to share the good news of Jesus. We pray in his great name. Amen.